Four uh, Italian mothers were bragging about their sons. The first mother said, my son is a priest. And when he enters a room, everybody says, good morning, father. The second mother said, well, that's nothing. My son is a bishop. And when he enters a room, everybody says, hello, your grace. Yeah, the third mother said, well, my son is a cardinal. And when he enters a room, everybody says, welcome, your eminence. The fourth mother was determined to not be outdone, but she was going to have to get creative. She thought to herself, she said, all of that is well and good, but let me tell you something. My son is 6'2", dark and handsome. When he walks in a room, everybody says, oh my God. <laughs> we all want to be the kind of people that our parents can be proud of. We want to be somebody, a person of significance, a, a, a person of substance, someone whose life really matters. Comedian Lily Tomlin once said, I always wanted to be somebody. I realize now I should have been more specific. <laughs> we all want to be somebody who matters, but how? Today's Bible story, the fourth in our installment in the Daniel sermon series, answers that question, but I must warn you at the outset, the biblical formula for finding significance in our life is very counterintuitive. So with that warning, let's say a prayer and we'll get started. God, I believe that you want to use the vivid Bible story laid before us today to teach us one of life's most important lessons. So please open our heart to your word so that each one of us here can, in fact, find our true significance. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. You heard Pastor Robert read it just a few moments ago. I, King Nebuchadnezzar, was living at ease in my home and prospering in my palace when I saw a dream that frightened me. My fantasies in bed, that's quite a phrase for the Bible, my fantasies in bed and the visions of my head terrified me. Fortunately for us, Nebuchadnezzar's fantasies in bed were all G-rated, and he goes on to tell us what those were. Verse 10, I saw a tree at the center of the earth. Its height was great. The tree grew great and strong and reached all the way to heaven. It was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it provided food for all. Dan, or, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream continues from there, but let's pause here for a moment because Nebuchadnezzar was desperate to know what does this great tree that reaches to heaven in his dream represent? And so he summoned his leading enchanters and magicians, but none of them could give a convincing explanation of this dream 
dreams. So finally, Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel, who had a reputation for being able to interpret even the most difficult dreams. And Daniel was able to tell Nebuchadnezzar what this tree in his dream represented. Daniel said, The tree that you saw, O king, which grew great and strong so that its top reached to the heaven and was visible to the ends of the whole earth, it is you, O king. Yes. 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 Exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to hear because you see, that's how he saw himself. I am the tree at the center of the world. It all revolves around me, 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 me. And we think to ourselves, boy, does he got a thing or two to learn. But before we be too quick to judge, let me hasten to add that the tree in Nebuchadnezzar's dream does not just represent Nebuchadnezzar. It represents each and every one of us. Because who among us does not subconsciously, if not consciously, wish that we could be the center of it all? Who among us would not like to believe that it all revolves around us? Once upon a time, a golden retriever died and found itself at the pearly gates gazing up at God Almighty seated on the throne. God said to the golden retriever, before I can let you in, I have to ask you a question. What do you believe? The golden retriever said, well, I, I, I believe in love, 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 love. I just love everybody. God said, okay, that's a pretty good answer. Welcome to heaven, come on in. Then a Labrador retriever died and found itself at the pearly gates gazing up at God Almighty on the throne. God said to the lab, before I let you in, I have to ask you, what do you believe in? The lab said, uh, well, uh, I believe in faithfulness and loyalty to others. There's nothing I wouldn't do for my family. God said, that's a pretty good answer. Welcome to heaven and come on in. Then a cat died and found himself at the pearly gates, gazing up at God Almighty on the throne. God said to the cat, before I let you in, I've got to ask you a question. What do you believe? Without skipping a beat, the cat looked God directly in the eye and said, I believe you're in my seat. <laughs> we are all that cat. By which I mean in the game of thrones that is life, we all wish we were on the throne. We all would like to believe that it all revolves around me and what I need and what I want. I want to meet the man or woman of my dreams who will dote on me and for whom my every wish will be their command. I want to have a great job and I want to have a great boss. I want to have children who are well-adjusted, non-hyper, and always obedient and never break my heart. I want to have a spouse who is well-adjusted, non-hyper, always obedient, and never breaks my heart. 
I want to prosper in life. I never want to have to experience serious illness. I don't want any of my loved ones to ever have to die. And I want to live to a ripe old age. I want to live Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But be careful what you ask for. Because you see, Nebuchadnezzar's dream continues from where we left off and takes an unexpected, ominous term. Nebuchadnezzar describes what happens next in his own words. Verse 13, I continued looking in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and there was a holy watcher. That's an angelic creature. There was a holy watcher coming down from heaven who cried aloud, Cut down the tree! Chop off its branches! No, no, I'm supposed to be the center of it all. It's supposed to all revolve around me. How can this happen? What does it mean? At first, Daniel was hesitant to tell Nebuchadnezzar what this part of the dream meant. But then he decided to level with him. He told him, O king, what this means is that you're going to lose your mind and you're going to lose your throne. And you're going to be put out of human society. And you're going to spend seven years living like a wild beast in the field. So that Nebuchadnezzar's great dream becomes his worst nightmare. But just as the first half of his dream was not just about him, but about all of us, so too the second half of the dream. Because the truth is, life has a way of chopping us all down. Picture it. You're going along in life and everything's going great. Your dreams are coming true. You got your plans and they're my plans are happening and it feels like I am in control and I am in charge. And then all of the sudden, out of the blue, Something comes along that knocks you off the throne and cuts you down to size. I don't know about you, but when I, was, when, I, when I look back on my childhood, I have very few things that I can remember distinctly from the first three, four, five years of my life. I just have certain, there's certain memories here and there from those first few years that for some reason are vivid when everything else is kind of dim and fuzzy. Here's one of those clear memories I have. I was probably about three or four years old at the time. Our house was full of company. It was late at night. I was exhausted from playing all day, and so I came into the living room where my dad was sitting on the couch and making conversation with folks in the living room. I came into the living room, and I laid down on the couch next to Dad. And as I laid there, and as Dad continued making conversation with others, he just reached over, and he started scratching my back. It felt so good. I was tired, but oh, it was exquisite. And I remember distinctly thinking to myself, the only thing that can make this moment more perfect would be if I had my blankie. I know it will surprise you, but as a kid, I was very attached to my blankie. I didn't give it up till I was 12, 13. No, no. Mom and dad made me give it up when I was five or six years old. But at age three or four, I lay there thinking, wow, the only thing that would make this moment more perfect would be if I had my blankie. 
So I decided to, take, to chance it. I got up, I went to my room, I got my blanket, I came back, laid back down, waiting for dad to resume, scratching my back. But now he was preoccupied with the conversation. And he never began scratching my back again. I remember how disappointed I was. My perfect moment ruined. But in the process, I was already beginning to learn a very important lesson about life. Nothing's ever perfect. You can't always get what you want. Because I am not in control. Life is about something much bigger than me. In the, uh, in the movie uh, Life or something like it, Lanny is a young, ambitious, uh, Denver area news reporter. She's got everything going for her, a great job, uh, good friends, good looks, a wonderful boyfriend. By all appearances, she is in control. She's in charge, and everything is coming together. One night for the evening news, she is teed up to do a, a, a novelty story, a human interest story near the end of the news that evening. She's going to do a live interview with a, a Denver area street prophet, a disheveled street prophet. She begins the, uh, the segment by saying tonight at 8 o'clock, it's the Seahawks versus the Broncos. Who's going to win? Only one man knows. Let's see if he's talking. Meet Prophet Jack, noted street savant. After a little introductory banter, Lanny asks Jack, who's going to win the game? Jack calls the game for the Seahawks, 19 to 13. Don't be joking with us now, Jack, Lanny says. You're breaking our hearts. Jack gruffly says, prophets, don't joke. Okay, Lanny says, realizing somebody takes himself a little too seriously. Any other hot tips for us, Jack? Tomorrow, it's going to hail. Lanny says, well, our meteorologist says we're going to have blue skies tomorrow. Sure, you don't want to check your frequency there a little bit, Jack. How old are you? Maybe you're not hearing the voice of God so much anymore. I hear it. I hear it loud and clear. Well, Lanny says, there you have it, folks. The Seahawks are going to win tonight, and tomorrow morning it's going to hell. And, Jack adds, next Thursday you're going to die. I'm sorry. Lanny is stunned. <laughs> she quickly, quickly wraps up the segment. But afterwards, she thinks to herself, he's just a street prophet. What does he know? But that night, the Seahawks beat the Broncos 19 to 13. And the next morning, instead of sunshine, it hails. And now she starts to freak out. No. No, I, I'm too young. I, it, it's too early to die. I, I'm the center of it all. It, it all revolves around me. How can this be happening? We like to think that we're in control. We like to think that we're in charge. But then along come things that knock us off our throne and knock us on our butt time and time and time again. As a kid, your coach tells you, sorry, you're not going to make the team. 
as a young adult, somebody breaks your heart. It wasn't supposed to be that way. As a young parent, your child encounters an overwhelming problem, and it's out of your control. As a middle-aged adult, your marriage falls apart. As a retiree, you reach the point where your vision has gotten so bad that you can't pass the test to renew your driver's license. And you know what that means. What now? Again and again and again. Life has a way of knocking us on our butt, off our throne, cutting us down to size. And it, it makes us angry. It makes us frustrated. It makes us miserable. And like Nebuchadnezzar, it can even make us nuts because we've got this longing inside of us. We want to be fulfilled. We want to be full. And the only way we can be full is to eat more. And so we start to think that the answer to everything is to have more, more power, more prestige, more money, a better house, a better car, a, a, a better spouse, a, a, a better job. You, you remember last week when, when Alexis did that amazing liturgical dance for us and, and when she came to that part of the song where the lyrics said something about searching for something. I'm always searching for something. Do you remember the dance move she did? I won't get it nearly as elegant as she did, but she did something like this. And we all instinctively knew exactly what that meant, right? Because that's us in our natural state, in our Nebuchadnezzar state. That's us frantically trying to find something that will make us feel significant. Finally, find something that's going to fill me up, that's going to make my life have meaning. I saw a, a news report uh, this past week on, on, on CNN about the latest fashion craze. Do you know what the latest fashion craze is? The latest, greatest fashion craze, according to this CNN news report, is what you see up here on your screen right now. I'm, I dead, I, I'm not making this up dead serious. Look it up for yourself. Big, red, clownish rubber boots are taking the fashion world by storm. People who are in style want their boots. They retail for $325 a piece, and they are in so much demand that retailers can't keep them in stock. They were inspired, no doubt, by Boots the Monkey in Dora the Explorer. In my mind's eye, I can imagine some iconic fashion designer shooting the breeze with a friend of his when he says, I'll bet you 2,000 bucks that I can design some, some Boots the Monkey boots, call them chic, and everybody's going to have to have a pair. And sure enough, voila, everybody wants their pair of boots. If I can get a pair of those boots, maybe I'll finally be a person of significance. If I can get those boots, maybe my life will finally matter. The Bible puts it this way, Proverbs 27, 20, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of human beings are never satisfied. Never satisfied. Never satisfied. Never satisfied. Maybe the boots will do it. Maybe that's what I'm missing. Got to have those boots. And 
it can make us nuts. What's the answer? What is in this crazy-making world where circumstances are constantly blowing us about like debris in a tornado, when one day you can be on top of the world, the glorious tree at the center of the earth, and the next day you are chopped down into nothing? What can save us from this madness? The same thing that saved Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, chapter 4, verse 33, Nebuchadnezzar was driven away from human society. He ate grass like oxen. His body was bathed with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagle feathers and his nails became like bird's claws. So what was it that allowed Nebuchadnezzar to finally regain his sanity Find his equilibrium and live the good life. He tells us in his own words, verse 34, Then I, Nebuchadnezzar, finally lifted my eyes to heaven, and I blessed the Most High. For God's sovereignty, key word, God's sovereignty is an everlasting sovereignty, and God's kingdom endures from generation to generation. God does what God wills, with the hosts of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth, there's no one who can say, who can stay God's hand or say, what are you doing? Nebuchadnezzar goes on to say that once he looked up to heaven and acknowledged God's sovereignty, he goes on to say, verse 36, at that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all God's works are truth, and God is able to bring low those who walk in pride. You see what's happening here, right? For Nebuchadnezzar to regain his sanity and to find his equilibrium in life, to finally find his place in life, he had to surrender control and acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty means that God is in control and we are not. He finally had to realize life is about something so much bigger than me and I am part, or called to be part, of something so much bigger than me. It's not all about me, it's about God. At the center of it all is the goodness of God and God's plan to redeem and reconcile all of creation. And I, Nebuchadnezzar, even though I may be the most powerful king on the face of the earth, I find my significance, I find my meaning in life when I finally decide to become a part of God's sovereignty, of God's plan, of something that is greater than myself. And that, I believe, is the critical life lesson that today's Bible story is meant to drive home in our hearts. Surrender control. Let go. Surrender the illusion that you are in control. Accept that life is about something much greater than you and that you are put here because you have are meant to be a part of something that is greater than yourself. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Note the prayer does not say, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is. No, it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the son of man, that's how Jesus referred to himself, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We are put here for the exact same purpose. I am here to serve and not to be served. And when I make peace with that, my sanity is restored, my tranquility is renewed, and my soul finally finds its place and purpose. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. We are here to serve. So, take whatever life gives you and make the most of it. I love the way James Reed puts this. James Reed says, the way out of life's frustrations is found not by resenting our limitations, but by accepting are places of frustration as the sphere of God's purpose. <clears throat> there is so much wisdom in that simple statement. Say it with me out loud. The way out of life's frustrations is found not by resenting our limitations, but by accepting our places of frustration as the sphere of God's purpose. So when Life frustrates you. Remember, you are where you are for a reason. Do I, do you, have enough faith to take whatever happens and make the most of it? If so, you will find your place in life and you will find your significance. God is sovereign. I was reminded of that this past week in a, in a small but poignant way. This uh, past week, Monday afternoon, my sister Melody called me and said, Jeff, Dad just rear-ended a pickup truck. Now, fortunately, everybody's okay. But she went on to say, and when I looked at his billfold, she said, I discovered that his driver's license is two months expired. My heart sank because I immediately knew what that meant. At 90 years old with progressive macular degeneration, the odds that he will be able to pass a vision test to renew his driver's license is very slim. And you know what that means. His last shred of independence and dignity, his ability to live on his own. On a Monday afternoon, in a moment's time, he was cut down to size out of the blue. He's knocked on his butt. And I had to tell him, Dad, your license is expired, and you're going to have to take a vision test, and you may not pass it. He said, well, I've, I've driven my whole life. I know, Dad. <laughs> I've driven over mountains in Colorado. I know, Dad, but you've got macular. <sighs> it wasn't supposed to be this way. And then, after worrying about him, I started worrying about myself. You know, little old me. I mean, God, I, this wasn't part of my plan this week to have to spend hours of time 
reading through the BMV regs and dealing with the BMV bureaucracy and, and dealing with insurance adjusters and taking him to an eye appointment to see what his current vision is and then being referred to a specialist in bioptic telescopic lenses that might, might get him to the place that he needs to be. God, this wasn't part of the plan this week. I don't have time for this. And that's when I remembered James Reed's quote. The way out of life's frustrations is found not by resenting our limitations, but by accepting our places of frustration as the sphere of God's purpose. And instantly, when I remembered that and embraced that, a everything's wrong situation became a I'm right where I'm supposed to be situation. As Jesus looks at me and says, Jeff, there's an old man who happens to be your father who's going to experience a profound life crisis this week, and I need somebody to be there with him, to encourage him, to guide him, and to help him along the way. Will you do it? Yes. Yes, Jesus. I want to be part of your great work in this world. And in that, I find my significance. The great irony of what the Bible teaches us is that it is by surrendering your significance that you find it. It's not about me. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I get to be a part of your plan to reconcile and redeem the world and to bless people, your kingdom come? Yes. Count me in. Do you have enough faith to take whatever happens and make the most of it? Let me close with this. We began with Nebuchadnezzar's dream about a tree. So it's fitting that we close with a story about a tree. A great American folktale that goes like this. Once upon a time, there were three trees standing side by side in the middle of the forest on a hill. The trees, these three trees, started talking to each other about their hopes and dreams for their life. The first tree said, my dream is that someday a carpenter will fashion me into an intricately carved treasure chest that contains gold and silver and precious jewels. I am going to be somebody. The second tree said, my dream is that someday I will be fashioned into a mighty sea-going vessel that transports kings and queens to exotic locations. I am going to be somebody. The third tree said, my dream is to remain right here in the forest and grow on the top of this hill to be the tallest tree in the forest so that when people see me, they will be amazed and they'll know that I am pointing them to heaven and I am pointing them to God. Time passed and one day, a lumberjack came into the forest, walked up to the first tree, took a look and said, this is a fine tree. I think I can sell this tree to the carpenter. And so he chopped it down. The first tree was thrilled. 
it just knew this is the beginning of the fulfillment of my dream. The carpenter's going to turn me in to an, uh, an ornate treasure chest. Then the lumberjack stepped up to the second tree, said, this is a good tree too. I'll bet I can sell this to the shipyard. And the second tree was delighted because it just knew it was now going to become a mighty seagoing vessel that would carry kings and queens to exotic locations. Then the lumberjack stepped up to the third tree. The third tree trembled with fear because it knew what this meant. If it chops me, if he chops me down, I will never be able to grow to be the tallest tree in the forest that points people to the heavens and God. The lumberjack wasn't sure what to do with his third tree, but it was a good tree, too good to pass up, so he chopped it down. The third tree was decimated, deeply, deeply, bitterly disappointed. Sure enough, the lumberjack ended up selling the first tree to the carpenter's shop. But the carpenter, instead of fashioning the first tree into an ornate treasure chest, instead made of it a simple wooden feeding trough for animals that ended up in a barn somewhere. It wasn't supposed to be this way. Life can be bitter. As for the second tree, it was sold to the, sea, to the shipyard, but instead of being fashioned into a mighty seagoing vessel, it was fashioned into a simple fisherman's boat and sold to some fisherman who docked it on a lake somewhere. It wasn't supposed to be this way. As for the third tree, the carpenter wasn't sure what to do with it, so it stacked it up as wood behind a shop for some future as yet to be determined project and there it languished. Years passed and one day a man and a woman came walking into the barn where the first tree fashioned into a feeding trough was located. They were exhausted, they were excited. The woman was in labor and gave birth to a son. They had no place to put him, so they wrapped him in cloth and laid him in the feeding trough. Before long, shepherds showed up, jumping and dancing with excitement, saying that angels had told them that this child that was born was none other than the Son of God. And at that very moment, the first tree, now the feeding trough, the first tree knew that this was a greater destiny than he had ever imagined. He now contained within him the most precious possession on earth, the very Son of God. Another 30 years passed. And one day, a group of men got in to that fishing boat fashioned out of the second tree and set sail across the lake. A huge storm kicked up as one of the men in the boat fell asleep. The storm threatened to sink the boat and all who were in it. When the sleeping man awoke, stood up and said, Peace be still. And the storm stopped. And the others in the boat worshipped and said, truly, this is the Son of God. And it was at that moment that the second tree, fashioned as a boat, 
realized, wow, this is better than I had imagined. My dream has come true. I am now transporting the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God, your plan was better than mine. Then, finally, three years later, one day, a Roman centurion abruptly shows up at the carpenter's shop demanding that the carpenter quickly fashion a wooden cross as an instrument for execution. The carpenter goes out behind the shop, grabs the surplus wood from that third tree, fashions a cross, a fate even more bitter now. I am going to be used as an instrument of execution. A man in the city, a prisoner, was forced to carry, to drag that tree through the city, out the gates, up a hill where he was nailed to the tree. The tree was planted in the ground, and there he hung to die. As he did so, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And eventually he said, Father, into your hand, I commend my spirit. And then the third tree overheard the centurion say, Surely this was the Son of God. And that's when the third tree realized, Oh my God. It's more than I ever could have imagined. For the rest of time, people will look to me, the tree on the hill, and I will point them to heaven, and I will point them to God. God, your plan is so much better than mine. This old American folk tale, the point of it is we find our deepest meaning when we surrender control, accept God's sovereignty, and embrace frustration as the sphere of God's purpose. You can fight life and make yourself nuts like Nebuchadnezzar did, trying to control what you can't. Or you can step out of the center and humbly, humbly, Embrace that you are part of something much greater than yourself. Surrender control. Simply make the most of whatever life brings you. And you will, in fact, find your true significance. Because the truth, the, the ironic truth of Scripture is, it's when I surrender my significance that I finally find it. Amen.